Why don't you write when you don't need money, honey? That would certainly make a hit. Welcome to another episode of Word Docs. This is a bit like um, the season finale or like when the, all of the Avengers bring in the extra superheroes because I'm here with Dr. Amy Matthews. Hi. Dr. Sean Williams. Hello. Dr. Peary Eddy. Hello. And Dr. Peter, this is not a stage name, Beaglehole. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Welcome. So this is like um, extra reserves. It's very, very exciting. Is there a name for like a pod of doctors? What do they call a group of doctors? Oh, the collective noun of doctors. I thought it was like an anxiety of doctors or something. <laughs> <laughs> award. Perfect. Award of doctors. Award. award of doctors. That's good. That's very good. So um, this is interesting because in a way uh, uh, the playwrights are kind of taking over today. We're actually, although a lot of us are kind of hybrids, I suppose, but this is kind of going to be a little bit uh, theatre-centric because Peter and Peary are collaborating on two back-to-back plays. Well, not collaborating. They're two. They've written a play each, just to make it more confusing. And I thought we'd invite them to talk about that with us today. So, of the two plays, which one goes on first? Oh, that's me. Strata by Peter <laughs> Beaglehole opens up this show. So, yeah, that's... I guess, I mean, we're co-producing is really um, the way to describe it. You know, we're doing all the work to get the shows on uh, that we've written. And they're both one-act plays. So, they're kind of, you know, doing something specific in, in theatre world. I think one-act plays are question plays, really. They, they don't necessarily, you know, do what you can do in an hour and a half. That's kind of what's what's going on with us, I think. Yeah. Are, are they, are they like, thematically linked? Or just to give us a very rough idea of the plot of Strata without giving anything away, obviously. <laughs> yeah. The best way to talk about that one is, is kind of to say it's a riff on betrayal so it's uh, mm. things go backwards in time um, and there's a set of twins uh, Robin and Brody and one stayed in a, in, in a smaller town uh, the other has gone off to have a really successful career as a hotelier and Robin's husband um, is also in the picture a geologist and it, it's kind of a play about the knots in that trio's relationship and untangling those knots and um, kind of you know the terrible things that we do to people that we love is kind of the best way I think of, of describing it without giving anything away. Can I ask a question about your term a question play Peter mm. that's not one I've heard before is there a quick answer to what a question play is uh, I just think it's probably Peter being really idiosyncratic so that's one one answer to it <laughs> but but the other thing is I think just because it's you know it, it runs probably for 15 minutes uh, 50 not 15 and the stuff that you can do in that time I, I guess it's a bit like a short story you know often short stories have a nice open ending it's a play that's kind of the, the experience of the audience is like putting the puzzle together and I think at the end of the show they'll still be you know, having fights with each other in the foyer, hopefully trying to, you know, work out who, who did what to who and, and that sort of stuff. That's always the playwright's goal, really, isn't it? Like, can we start a fight in the foyer? That's kind of the ultimate, <laughs> the dream. Uh, or is that just me? Perhaps that's just me. <laughs> Might just be you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> and why the title Strata, I guess? I mean, I, I keep thinking of my flat, but that's obviously not yeah. the point. No, it's um, Phil is a geologist as well. So, there's a, there's a good metaphor about um, Strata in terms of kind of the layers of sediment that build up over time. And one of the kind of key images um, that I was kind of thinking of when I was working on this play, there's um, something called a plastiglomerate, which is like it washed up in Hawaii in about 2012, I think. But it's like a, a, a layer of plastic that people are noticing because all of the plastic in the ocean gets compounded in this one spot and then eventually it washed up on Hawaii. So, there's literally like a layer of, of plastic that we can kind of see. 
Um, it probably won't be there like in millions of years. I think I think it will eventually kind of not be there. But at the minute, we can kind of see our moment in history kind of manifesting. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's kind of just as a point of departure it was just kind of like that's fucking weird yeah um, let's 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 unpack that that thing yeah there's a mm. great metaphor there too like there's so much you could do with that strange yeah. legacy as human beings yeah and yeah. the idea of polluted relationships but also these kind of artificial manufactured things and there's so much you could do sometimes when you come up with a title and you're just like yeah now that it's kind of <laughs> it's just like oh that does the metaphor nicely yeah well done me <laughs> Then you have lunch and you go, well, I've yeah, done my yeah. work for the day. <laughs> but and someone take two one months day, off after that. Someone one day will become a word doc by writing a thesis on how brilliant that, that metaphor is. Then you'll be like, yep. Yep. I did that. <laughs> so pivoting over to Piri now. So um, this play I know far less about. So because um, I've read Strata. It's a mystery. Well, it's a mystery. Yes. Oh, it's not a mystery play. No, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a whodunit. So what's it called? Uh, so it's called Forgiveness. Uh, unlike Peter, my title is far more just explicit. It's just uh, the, the title says the thing that it is, uh, which is about, you know, uh, people who are, uh, are sort of wrestling with the deeds that they've done to one another and um, their inability to kind of forgive one another um, and, and the ramifications that that has. I mean, it's about two, really it's about two fathers who have this terrible falling out and uh, eight years later they kind of fall back sort of in one another's orbit, although they never really cross paths. But because of that falling out and because of the fact that they haven't been able to kind of come to terms with with what that's meant for their relationship and and, and sort of been able to say, you know, let things go, it, it has these terrible sort of ramifications for their families. So uh, across a young daughter. Across generations or across a single uh, across, generation? Across, I guess it's it's a two generation sort of play. Yeah, a, a sort of young daughter and a young um, son, and 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 a mother as well, who are kind of caught up in in that sort of destructive force of these two men, who you know, in a really ugly way, can't can't come to terms with 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 what's happened in their past. And I, I say this now to, I guess, add a little bit of weight to it. It's it's not a play about the climate crisis, but I do like to think of of it as this sort of idea of grappling with those questions of yeah, intergenerational kind of mm. what what one generation decides not to sort of learn from how that ripples through and, and actually has a, a really profound and kind of destructive effect for the rest of us. Uh, yeah, so it's a, and, and a, a, it's a kind of, I, I call it an epic rural tragedy, which maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's definitely sad. It's got some sad <laughs> moments. And, and in, in a, you know, in that idea of these being question plays, I mean, it, it kind of, yeah. it really does leave the audience in a place where it throws, throws to the audience, you know, they have to be the ones who then kind of come to terms with the situation and, you know, what make up their own minds I suppose about the big weighty question of the, the thing, big, um, yeah, the which is fun, and and then yeah, yeah, and then they walk out and they start punching on with one another. Um, so you, what you, know. you hope for the same thing I do. <laughs> I mean, what are we here for if not to start fights? I think. <laughs> <laughs> Why bring the world together when you can rip it apart? Um, I guess the follow-up question to all of that is, um, you know, here are two comparatively young guys going out there telling these stories and i guess the the question i have around that is why theater why what is, what is it specifically about theater that you're both attracted to I, I guess i'll start with peter i don't think i'm very good at anything else that's uh, that's a contributing factor that helps <laughs> um, but honestly I, I i really like the way that language sounds and i really mm. like kind of the economy that you're forced into because kind of the deal is time in live performance. It's kind of like, hey, audience, we're going to sit down for a fixed amount of time together. That's kind of one of the bottom lines. And when you get to combine that with all the cool stuff you can do, like, 
you can present multiple timelines simultaneously and do kind of weird stuff with space. The best parallel, I think, is like comic books, really, because you can have multiple things happening simultaneously between panels or in the same panel and that sort of stuff. I just really, I like the economy of it. I like I like the, the sounds of language. Like, I like to hear people say things. Yeah, I think that deal that you make with the audience to kind of like, we're just going to sit in this for a while is something that I find just fun to play with audience positioning. And, oh, God, there's this great thing that I read. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, when she was working on, on Fleabag, um, her, her dramaturg was saying they had this rule called Secret Ninja. And it's just like, if the scene could be made better by the appearance of a secret ninja, they had to cut it, <laughs> which is like ruthless. But um, but that idea that the deal is kind of like, you've got to you've got to keep people in there, kind of like high wire stuff in a way. And not take them for granted, I think, which I, I suppose I would argue some theatre does do sometimes. <laughs> I think that contract with the audience is really important. And the secret ninja thing's great because so many things could be improved with the presence of a secret ninja. <laughs> It's not first draft. Don't play Secret Ninja in first draft. You'll never finish. <laughs> Unless you're writing a play about Secret Ninjas, in which case yeah. you can I feel that's going to happen now. I feel like one of you is going to be doing the Secret Ninja now. I'd see it. I mean, I'd definitely see it. Um, I've got a question. Um, yeah, so, I might sure. direct it, Piri, and then back to Peter about mm. this idea of why theatre. Is there something about collaborating with other humans as well? Like you were talking about being in a time and space, but even in the making of when you mentioned a dramaturg or you think about working with actors or even co-producing. It's a much more social endeavour than being a novelist, for example. So there, I think, I wonder if there's something in that that you like the working with other humans and co- co-creating in some way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there is there is something incredibly life-affirming about being in a room full of people who are who are working together on this thing. But, all, you know, and you'll sit down with actors and you've written a script that you feel pretty confident about and you feel like you know a lot about what's in it. And then you sit down with these actors and a director and they start just picking it apart and finding all of these other little gems that you know later on you say well of course I you know I knew that was in there but but I'm it's glad you yeah, found it's, that it's, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that was well a done hidden Easter egg but it is it's you know you you work with these people who are if you're lucky professionally trained and and have spent time really thinking about what it, what texts mean and what bodies in space mean and it's, it's just an incredibly enriching sort of experience and I, I mean I think you know I was listening listening to your uh, two episodes ago I think it was the pitching episode but Alex was talking about that kind of difference between writing for theatre and, and writing as a, you know, as a novelist. And, and I think novels, you're in your own head, you're in your own space. It is, it can be incredibly isolating as well as sort of very fulfilling, but you are, you're sort of the director, you're the producer, you're the, you know, you're playing every role as a novelist. Whereas as a playwright, you, as I think Alex described it, you write the thing and then you hand it over and then it becomes this very different thing that can kind of become um, more than the sum of its parts sort of thing. Or So my experience of listening to playwrights talking seems to be that you're all very aware of things like thematic material um, and I know every week when we're talking to Alex he's very concentrated on thematic material and listening to you guys talking about the process of knowing your material because I feel like I'm much blinder to myself and maybe it is because of that idea that you have so much going on that it's just too much to hold on to to be as clear about your role I feel like playwrights get very clear about this is what I'm making and this is what I'm doing and these are the points I'm exploring and this may just be me I may just be uh, no 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 I, I was at the playwrights conference oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago when I was in Sydney and I was very aware of how hyper-political it was 
and how deeply invested everyone was in thematically what they were putting out there to a point where I kind of thought, I think it's fantastic on one level, but then there was another part of me going, oh, chill out, <laughs> calm down, calm down. Does it speak you know, to the audience? Like, is it about who goes to theatre versus who's reading? Like, I, I there- would argue that, yes, I would. I don't know. What do you think, playwrights? Yeah, I think if you get too fixed on it, you can get in the way of your own play. And I think, I don't know, particularly I think there's an appetite for kind of vulnerability and and power tools. Just loud power tools. I don't think we've referred to this yet in the episode, but Sean has renovations going on and both Sean and Alex are at Sean's house. And so every now and then you're just going to get a punctuation mark of a power drill. That's yeah, emphasis, doesn't it's it? Not, yeah. It's not any of us. Although that would, be a, so that would be a good theme. And now you've got hidden chocolates as well. Yeah, it's a disaster all around. They're, they're just teasing I just us. enjoy that you've got um, masculinity by proximity. I'm near power tools. I'm not using them. I get a real thrill when I walk through Bunnings. I just think, yeah, this is this is alpha peak alpha male. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to wrangle this because Alex is too busy eating chocolate to actually host it. <laughs> get him back in a minute. So we all went very off track, but basically Peter was talking to us about how if you get too hung up on theme, you can cripple yourself. So we're going to go back to that point. I think, yeah, just churn out the first draft without worrying about that stuff, honestly, is my feeling. And follow, like I follow characters. I put them in a situation and they often take me somewhere that is kind of scary. And I think, I don't know, I think it was Phil Kavanagh passed this on to me from someone else. And I can't remember who it came from, but it's just playwrights often right up to the point where they should start the scene. So invest all this dialogue, getting getting characters to a point where they actually start to do something interesting, and then we get scared and run away. Oh, Whereas, I see that too. Yeah, all we the do. Time you see them. Yeah. It's like you've left the interesting stuff off the page. Students yeah. do it. Or you would. You've both taught, haven't you? You'd see this all the mm. time. They leave it off the page. It's just like that's the bit I want to see. Yeah, I, I wrote something once where I totally uh, missed out the scene where the girl burgled the house, and everyone was talking <laughs> about where was she? What happened? She seems to have stolen this stuff. And dramaturg said to me, "We'd actually like to see the really exciting." scene that they're all talking about. And I went, oh yeah, that, that'd be a good scene. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Piri, what's the beginning of your process then? Are you thinking of theme? Are you going on wild journeys with characters the way Peter is? Um, Are you doing something else? Yeah, look, I mean, I I think I would say that I'm quite intuitive and, and, you know, a bit of a pantser in a lot of respects. Because I think for me, the important part is is churning out that first draft because I often, I have no idea what I'm trying to say until I've said some form of it and then can work out from there, oh, right, yeah, this is what I wanted to say all along. I mean, it's interesting, interesting because forgiveness really a lot of it was an accident <laughs> and and you know I always worry now that I'll never be able to replicate that accident because and, and and it sort of came down to a kind of structural or sort of focal point thing because when I first wrote the play I wrote a sort of full version of it and it was kind of a, 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 a I suppose this is not the right term in the theatrical world but a third person perspective and and then there was a moment where I switched it just kind of to play around with it to see you know a, a bit of experimentation what would happen if I kind of Vocalized it through each of these characters, but in a sort of over, overlapping kind of intermingling kind of way. And all of a sudden, it kind of erupted into this really interesting thing where it was the lives of these five characters who are, you know, not saying the things that they desperately wanted to say to one another and always kind of missing each other. So it, it became a lot more internal rather than sort of external. And, and, and somehow that kind of, it all just blossomed from there. So, you know, my process is definitely find out what I'm, you know, try and say it before I know what I'm saying.
playing, but also just be open to experimenting a little bit. Yeah, trying it a different way. Uh, and I think that's the problem, you know, a lot of, and I've suffered from this a lot where uh, you're anxious to just be able to say it and say it right. But, you know, the rule I think is that you have to live by is the first draft is always shit. You know, that's that's kind of my mm. philosophy that I think, you know, a lot of people hopefully ascribe to it. But you have to, you really have to kind of come to that realization the first time before you go. And it's difficult because the, the mystique of, of writers are that they churn out this gem, you know. This perfect it, thing. Yeah. What, what's the story with, with Jack Kerouac that he, you know, wrote it all on this big scroll in six days or something? Yeah, yeah. it wasn't true. It wasn't yeah. true. They, in the archives, they found all his um, drafts. He did heaps <laughs> Precisely. Of and that draft was the first one where, you know, he was probably high on something, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I've had students that have said you do it once and you do it well and I've always gone, good luck. Um, but there is something really liberating about, I've done a first draft and it's shit. Yes, I've done what I'm supposed to do. It's fantastic. But in all of that, we've got the power drill happening, so I'm feeling really grunty now. Uh, in all of that, uh, it feels like... I'm just picturing you, sorry. I'm just picturing you like, like a Ryobi ad, yeah. like standing there holding it while you're... Yeah, <laughs> while you're I've picking. got grunt. Do your sexy voice, Alex. Ryobi. I'm not buying that drill. I'm sorry, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Some grunt. Are you murdering um, people I, with that drill or are you, yeah? It's time for the secret ninja, everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> time for a fake ad, I reckon. <laughs> oh, oh, my yes, God. Please, Elbow please, Magazine. Please. Oh, let's not talk about Elbow Magazine. It's perverted. I thought that- If Elbow Magazine exists, though, they would probably be thrilled. I'm just <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's someone out there that's waiting for that. I thought what's interesting is when, when you're introducing the plays, this is kind of an open question for everybody, I think, but it feels to me- like asking questions and provoking the audience is very much in a stereotypical sense, a theatrical mindset. Not everyone conforms to that, but you know, someone like Susie Miller is like begging for an argument. And I, and I think I've done it in the past, but I would argue in, in some of the uh, other conversations we've had and in some of the other genres, I'm thinking really like romantic fiction. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe that's in fact the opposite of what you want to do. You know, I um, think it's coded. I mean, I think what happens in, in some, genres and science fiction is probably sometimes one of these as well that it, it's coded into the plot so just as a really cliched example like Dirty Dancing having the whole abortion narrative in there mm. like they, they manage to have the difficult things in their kind of safe and comforting way but there are novelists like Christus Cholkis for example or mm. Jodie Picoult's a more mainstream one who do issue books who do do those books where they're trying to get people to have a fight Right yeah it's interesting I, I, I always feel like there's a bit of pressure on playwrights to think that way and happy endings would be kind of looked down upon I think in some except ways except in musicals right except in musicals, musicals which is what like... everyone secretly loves you know because <laughs> right. Jesus Christ Superstar was such a happy ending I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, it was Judas was quite just happy just like the original book <laughs> You know. I had this moment because I did not grow up religious and my partner's family is recently where my, my kids didn't grow up religious either and we were all talking in the car and they're like, why did he come back? Like, he just went away. Like He came back and then he didn't do anything. Like, what happened to him? He got out of the, the crypt and then he's like, right, hi. And that's hi. it. Like, what's the point? What's the that end of the magic like trick? a bad ending. It's just, ta-da, I did it. It's like a prank what's ending. Now? Like, uh, how much do you guys miss you? Here I am again. We're drifting a bit. Sorry. Yeah, can I, I have another question, which is, so you're both organic first draft writers, but when you start out with these one-act plays, 
did you know you were going to co-produce and put something on back to get, like, were you writing them thinking, okay, I'm going to do this play with Peter Perry or are you writing it and then you're chatting one day and you're like, hey, you know what, these would be great together. Like, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, so well, the joke that Peter and I like to tell is, uh, you know, we've we've known each other for a few years now. Uh, we have worked together before, um, but on smaller projects. And, and so the joke that we like to tell each other is that we, we kind of thought, well, what's the most expensive, most uh, soul-crushing <laughs> way that we could destroy our friendship um and we thought, hey let's let's go produce some plays no but it's true you know, peter and i <laughs> they're not talking uh, anymore this is the first yeah, time well, they've seen no. each other in weeks you know they're not in the same room no they're not <laughs> sharing chocolate and talking about power tools no but no it was i mean it, uh, you know i'll let peter talk about this a little bit more but it was you know it was a, a kind of conversation it was um it was two people i think who have spent some time together and you know wanted to collaborate mostly to to kind of help each other out you know to to go well hey look we're both in this place where we have these plays that we want to make happen you know we're like-minded people in in plenty of ways and yeah and uh, you know because i think uh thinking to sort of uh, i mean some aspects of the show i suppose it's it's a nice little advice forum i think you know if you can find those people yeah that kind of it makes sense as collaborators then those things will hopefully happen and you know peter and i have known each other for seven eight years and and this is the first time we're doing something like this but you know we, we just kind of we're in the right place at the right time together i think um same question for peter but i'm also going to just add can you talk us a little bit about the uh the process of the of being a producer in that context as well that collaborative yeah. context i think that's um kind of the bottom line the bottom ruthless line in this scenario is there are very few companies that produce new plays um, consistently, particularly in South Australia. So, and playwrights are always in a, in a bit of a strange position in the theatre world, kind of, what, what, what do we do with these guys? They, they generate content, but we're not always sure how to work with them. I think that's, I don't think that's unfair. I'll probably, no, that's you know, fair. That's fair. Um, we'll go you know, down together. We'll take the hit together. That's you know, fair. Oh, never get commissioned. But, um, <laughs> but it is part, part of it was literally pragmatically as a playwright, you, you will have to self-produce. That is a thing that you will have to do. And cause it's something that Piri and I needed to, I think yeah. we have ways of making you talk. <laughs> um. This has to be called the Power Drill Edition. <laughs> you have to credit them as an extra guest. Or, uh, word docs with extra tools. You can just have a dig at us. Uh. <laughs> So it's producing a bit like a bit like pulling teeth, and we can make that kind of work, can't we? Well, yes, yes, you can. I think Piri and I, I think our skill set as producers is pretty like we knew at this, so it made sense for us to do it together, so that we could help each other out. So that if you know we have an existential crisis, hopefully you know we haven't we haven't gone on the same existential crisis cycle yet, which has been good. Yes, you've got to make sure um, that the cycles don't sync up. Yeah, very important. Yeah, so we've been able to ask each other to kind of step in and follow up and make the phone calls. But it's really about you need someone to write the grants you need someone to chase people for information on venue um to pitch the show to other producers to talk to we have had a lot of support you know it's funny when i say it's difficult to be a playwright but we also have had a lot of support from from brink and others which is yeah which has been really excellent but um you, you do need someone to exhaust every possibility to get to get equity because we've got 14 creatives. It's a really expensive wow. show. That's a lot it's of actually, people. It's actually genuinely nuts on that level. <laughs> but, you know, we try and just suppress that. And, and Sometimes you've just got to go nuts, don't you? You've got to figure <laughs> what the hell 
People are going to think we're crazy. But yeah. We're going to yeah, fly an aeroplane. <laughs> the alternative is the play sits in a drawer for years. Yeah, and I think, absolutely. You know, manuscripts and plays and all sorts of things sit in drawers for ages, right? So this was just, I think, a way that there are two players that have won some awards and had some traction. So it's just like, let's just get these things out um, finally. And that's just yeah. healthy, right? Otherwise they fester and you go, gee, that would have been a good thing, but maybe now the moment's lost or, you know, uh, I think it's really important to kind of push that extra, that extra mile to make it happen. Given that um, one of the things about this show that we've often talked about is that we are uh, jobbing creatives, but we're also um, teachers in a university context, are these things that you think should be embedded more, it's a very leading question, but uh, should be embedded more in curriculum, like things that students need to know in, and at in what ter- point? In terms of, of, of understanding, you know, how to produce your work, do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Understanding that you may have to, I suppose, first of all, that that may be part of the gig and then um, perhaps some guidance as to how to do that. I mean, did either mm. of you feel that you were taught in that way or no, learning no, on the not, job? No, not really. I mean, to answer the first part of that question, I mean, I think it is vitally important, as, you know, in any of these kind of creative arts programs that there is a yeah a level of kind of practical how do i take this thing to the next stage you know uh, and and yeah those realities of, of grant writing how to address a, a panel of theater practitioners to you know sell your work in a way that because the reality of it is that so much of us at this level are relying on, on on government funding and there's not enough of it and there's you know it's highly competitive it's just a different process as well it's not you know you could have a fantastic work of of theater or or, or a novel or whatever else but then to be able to kind of sell it in a way that makes sense to funders or whatever is a completely different way of speaking it's a different different, yeah different language um and I guess the way it works at the moment is you just, you know, you, you give it a go and you try it a few times and, and you do get there. But I, I do think universities could, and I'm sure that there are universities out there who are doing it. And those creative industries kind of topics that seem to be arising now, I think are a little bit more focused on those sorts of skills. But definitely it's something that I think um, we could do more of. Uh, Peter? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but timing's important too, because in, in first year, you don't want to crush people's dreams. I Like, <laughs> on, like gen- genuinely, you've You've got to you, you have to do this balancing act where it's just like the job that we do is kind of super fun because we get to play like that's mm. our job we get to pretend to be people and we we're, we're kind of like still in theater at least we're still like show busy people you know there's that thing going on but also there's the bread and butter stuff and I I didn't I did like a general bachelor of arts so I don't know if, if I can make that comment but a lot of the the training I've done as a writer has been through like ATYP has a program for young writers which is great for example yeah. or I've done a a, a fellowship with got a fellowship with car clue and it's kind of been quite informal and i think that's actually probably been a positive thing in a way is to learn through kind of a direct experience of it and i'm not sure how equipped yeah how equipped tertiary institutions are to necessarily do some of that stuff so it's Mm. yeah one thing i think about this is if you think about other professions too like architecture or law there's this thing that you don't actually come out even nursing you don't actually come out prepared to practice you go through you know like an internship or a residency or you know things like architecture law there's an exam to sit a few years into your practice and what's interesting is trying to adjust expectations um so like you're saying peter first year is not the time to adjust everyone's expectations necessarily you want to harness and they need there's so much to learn but also there's the expectation that three or four years is enough for you to go out and be an expert in your field because you're really not like some people do like us we've all done phds but even after a phd there's so much that 
that needs to be done in terms of learning and growth and going from a beginning writer. So that's something I find really interesting and I have not got my head around yet on how to teach, on how to get across this idea that all learning and wisdom is a very long, slow process. It's not like in three years I can give you the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> that came up in a, in a in a university meeting recently that was mentioned by someone. And I thought, yeah, we, we don't it's an interesting question as to how to how and when to frame that for people and say this is the beginning of a very long journey and it's not a couple of years in and you're ready to go kind of situation yet at the same time encourage that sense of play and that sense of excitement and keep all of those balls in the air at the same time um we are coming to the end which is it's gone it's flowing by i think the main thing that remains to be done is the shameless plug so tell me when is this show happening uh, so it's happening uh, oh Peter, I mean, who? <laughs> there's the producers yeah. stepping on each other's toes. The, the sound of desperation. <laughs> uh, no, but look, it's 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 running uh, in. February 2021, February 9th to the 21st, uh, and that's going to be at Rumpus Theatre, which is in Bowdoin. And and tickets are actually, uh, I'm, I'm not sure when this podcast is going out, but they will be available. You can uh, pick those up if you go to the Rump- Rumpus Theatre um, website. Peter, do you know the, the URL for that? If you Google Rumpus Theatre Adelaide, you will find it. That's the <laughs> easiest way. We'll also put it up on our social medias for people oh, to find. Thank you. I really Shameless hope plug. there's another like, Rumpus Theatre Budapest and it's really kinky or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's just my. Uh, I don't. I don't really hope that for you. So for for people not in Adelaide and not able to come in person, can they buy copies of your plays or can they access you online in some way? I know Piri had some work that was in the State Theatre of the Cameron Project. Yep, yep, the Cameron Project. Yep. Um, are there ways they can find you if they're not physically in Adelaide? Uh, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Piri underscore Eddie is a quick and easy way. The plays themselves, neither of them are, are published yet, but that's something that I'm. Sure, Peter and I will be looking into. How do we stalk you, Peter? If we want to, um, I'm a bit of a ghost. I'm, I <laughs> when I say that it's the only thing I'm good at, I do do the ephemeral performance thing. Keep an eye out for the joy of the horror of being. Eventually, that's something I'm working on. Yes, oh, we'll have to talk to you about that. Uh, yeah, it's a great title. He, he nails the titles. Beagle holes all over the titles. Um, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that at a later point. I think. I think there's a lot to unpack with that show as well. But thank you very much, both Piri and Peter. Thank, thank you. you for joining thank us. You. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at the Rumpus Theatre. In February, Bowdoin in Adelaide. February 9th till 21. Oh, sorry, it's a nice Valentine's Day date. Yep, a beautiful black comedy or epic tragedy to take uh, a first-time date on, definitely. (laughs) I I, I once took a date to see Blasted by Sarah Kane, which involves- Oh, no. That involves, like, the eating of a baby. That was one of the worst nights of my entire life. Was was there a second date? Uh, No. No, but probably for other reasons, I hope. (laughs) Well, that wasn't the reason. Okay. (laughs) That set the tone for the whole evening. And on that note, I'm going to say happy writing. Happy writing. Happy writing. Happy writing. Happy writing. Why don't you write when you don't need money? All your notes sound alike too much. All of them start with I love you, honey, but they end with the same old touch. Just for a change, send a nice loving letter and cut out that please remit. Why don't you write when you don't need money, honey? That would certainly make a hit. 
Now, before we go, can Piri get his dog back and can I take a screen yes. capture? Because that <laughs> yeah. was too cute. Murphy, come. Oh, it was so cute. Was that a she or a he? Uh, it's a he, little Murphy. He, he like perched up right next to Piri. <laughs> it was so cute. Murphy, come. It's too cute. Murphy. He's going to come now. Murphy's, like, no. Murphy's <laughs> law, isn't it? When you want Murphy, yeah. he's not there. Hey. <laughs> Hey Murphy! Hello Murphy! Hello Murphy! Hey Murphy! Hey Murphy! There you go. He's nine months old. He's an absolute terror. <laughs> does he count as a word doc if he doesn't have a PhD? Word dog. He's a word yeah. dog. He's a word dog. He's our first word dog. Nailed it.